Amen. So I want to be sure, uh, before I begin, and mention, uh, stop by and see us at the table. My awesome wife, Wendy, of 31 years, is with me. Uh, couldn't do what we do without her. She's really the one that writes all the sermons. And so if you don't like something that I say, please let her know. Uh, and then my, one of my daughters works for the ministry as of January of this year, so we're delighted to have her on board. And my little granddaughter, you might see her running around, Zoe is three and a half years old. And uh, she, I, I thought about bringing her up here this morning just because she's the most adorable three and a half year old you'll ever see. But I thought that's shameless, plus I wanted, didn't want to give up any time. But uh, anyway, stop by and see Wendy and Brooke and, uh, and Zoe. But I'd like to begin... Uh, very important, so listen carefully. I'd like to begin by saying good morning. My name is J.B. Hickson, and I am real. I am not an AI representation. You know, we are getting fast to the stage uh, where you're going to have to start doing that. It's really, it's really sad. But uh, this morning's uh, presentation is drawn uh, primarily from the information in Chapter 3 of my latest book, Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 2, and we're going to examine the direct assault on the image of God and man by the Luciferians that I introduced yesterday. I will uh, talk about the origins of uh, transhumanism, the depopulation agenda, biodigital convergence, and really the twilight of civilization as we know it. Now, to begin with, the word trans as a prefix, it's an interesting word. We are seeing it more and more these days. And basically, trans means whatever you want it to mean. No matter what your reality is, if you add trans to the beginning, then you can be whatever you imagine yourself to be. It's kind of like this young British man who spent literally hundreds of thousands of euros to become Korean on plastic surgery. He said, for the first time in my life, I now feel beautiful. I'm finally Korean. He had 18 plastic surgeries. I'm just uh, amazing what we see, uh, what we see happening. Uh, I'm actually really eager to hear, and I know you are too, Laura's presentation later, uh, to just talk about the, 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 what goes through the person's mind in this type of situation. But, you know, actually the prefix trans, when you think about it, uh, can be pretty convenient, you know. If, it, if trans can just basically change the meaning to be anything you want it to be, I mean, I'm thinking about kind of adopting that uh, prefix. For example, I could be trans-vaccinated, you know. Uh, I'm sorry, sir, you must be vaccinated uh, to enter this establishment. Well, oh, that's okay, good, don't worry, I'm trans-vaccinated, you know. Uh, or how about this, in theory, just being hypothetical here, in theory, a person who never, ever in his life won a presidential election could be the trans president of the United States. I'm just saying. I'm just, you know, trans, uh, trans can be, can be pretty, uh, pretty convenient. So uh, the root of the great satanic reset that I talked about yesterday is the desire to be God. Uh, that's how it all started. Satan wanted to be God. We talked yesterday about Isaiah. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And when Satan said, I will ascend into heaven, he was referring to the dwelling place of God. You know, Scripture, scripture speaks of uh, three different uh, realms of heaven or levels of heaven. Remember, Paul was caught up into the third heaven. The first level is 
the atmosphere that envelops the earth. We call this the, the air above or the sky above. It's where the birds soar and the planes fly and the government sprays chemicals. Uh, the second sphere of heaven is called interstellar space, and that's where the stars are, the moon and the sun. Uh, the third and highest level, of course, is the dwelling place of God, the abode of God. It's from where he rules in majesty and sovereignty over the creation. And that's where Satan set his sights. He wanted to ascend to this third level, to be above the stars, to the dwelling place of God, because he wanted to be like the Most High God. He coveted God's throne. And when he couldn't have it, then he set his eyes, his sights on earth. And he confronted Adam and Eve in the garden, promising them that they too could be like God if they would simply follow and obey him. So we go to Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, questioning uh, God, planting that seed of doubt? Uh, the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the, of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, uh, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now is that what God had said to Eve? No. Uh, so she's following his lead already, uh, ser the serpent's lead. And here, you know, the serpent says to the woman, you will not surely die. Now, transhumanism is what the Luciferians call this driving passion to become God. It has two basic principles, both of which come straight from Satan himself. The first one is immortality. They don't want to die. They want to defeat death. Now, the only one that's defeated death is Jesus Christ. He defeated the last enemy, death, when he rose from the dead, defeating death, hell, and the grave. And he's the only one that has the power and authority to give life for those who simply place their faith in him and him alone for it. But the second uh, principle of transhumanism we also see here from Genesis 3, For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God. So they want immortality, you will not die, but they also want to become God, you will be like God. And both of these are wrapped up in this transhumanist idea. Now, Satan's earthly accomplices, part of that conspiracy that involves Satan, evil spirits, and earthly uh, co-conspirators, uh, they share his desire to be God. They want immortality. They want creative power. It's their driving passion. They call it transhumanism. So it goes back to Julian Huxley in the uh, late 19th, early 20th century. Uh, Darwinian uh, eugenicist Julian Huxley was considered to be the father of transhumanism. I talk about this in the book. He popularized the term itself in a 1957 paper that was simply entitled Transhumanism. Uh, he, of course, hails from the famous Huxley uh, family of eugenicists. Thomas Henry Huxley, his grandfather, was known as Darwin's bulldog uh, for his staunch defense of Charles Darwin's theory of evolution. Thomas was an avowed unbeliever who called himself an agnostic. Julian's older brother, Aldous Huxley, is the one who wrote A Brave New World. Julian himself was the director of UNESCO, the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, a leading Luciferian um, uh, organization that pushes their agenda in advancing their globalist goals. But in his 1957 paper called Transhumanism, Julian Huxley wrote this. The human species can, if it wishes, transcend itself, not just sporadically, an individual here in one way, an individual there in another way, but in its entirety as humanity. Transhumanism flows from the Darwinian lie that mankind is getting better and better. 
what began billions of years ago as a wet rock has evolved into a species we call Homo sapiens. And just as today's humans have evolved well beyond a wet rock, tomorrow's humans will transcend Homo sapiens and become something post-human, something much better, or so it is alleged. Transhumanism is the Luciferian's effort to merge man and machine into a synthetically created being that will transcend humanity and achieve equality with God. It is a direct assault on God as the Creator. Only God has the power to create. God spoke the world into existence ex nihilo, out of nothing. To achieve divine status, these Luciferians must be able to create. That's why everything they have is, go, is being poured into this research of transhumanism. In 2008, the World Transhumanist Association changed its name to Humanity Plus, signifying the movement's ongoing efforts at transcending humanity, as Huxley dreamed of doing. The organization's tagline is, Elevating the Human Condition. It seems we all suffer from a condition that needs to be improved. It's called humanity. And the Satanists think they can do a better job than God when it comes to creating life. Now, on September 12, 2022, current President Joe Biden signed a disturbing executive order that really didn't get much attention in the mainstream media, no surprise there. Uh, Karen Kingston, a former Pfizer employee and current analyst for the pharmaceutical and medical device industries provided a really excellent to-the-point summary of this executive order. I'm just going to read her tweet. I couldn't say it any better. She said, let me read between the lines for America. Biden's September 12, 2022 executive order declares that Americans must surrender all human rights that stand in the way of transhumanism. Clinical trial safety standards and informed consent will be eradicated as they stand in the way of universally unleashing gene editing technologies needed to merge humans with AI. In order to achieve the societal goals of the New World Order, crimes against humanity are not only legal, but mandatory." End quote. Perhaps the most well-known advocate and spokesman for the transhumanist movement in the last few years is Yuval Noah Harari. Who, by the way, I noticed this a couple days ago when I was putting this together, these last few slides. Uh, if you ask me, he kind of favors Julian Huxley. I mean, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but he kind of, maybe it's the glasses, I don't know, but he sort of looks like him. But anyway, uh, Harari, of course, is an Israeli public intellectual known for being a historian. Uh, whenever you see the word official historian, like in the university and academic setting, just think liar. That's basically what they are. Um, but anyway, he's written several books, Samians, Homo, Homo Deus, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. Um, but if you do a quick search for him under videos on any search engine, you'll come up with, like I did here, just on the first page alone, if you scroll down, 182 videos uh, put out by this uh, man uh, from major uh, organizations. These are all unique videos, not repeats, from groups like Stanford, World Economic Forum, TED Talks, 60 Minutes, major news outlets, university think tanks, you, you name it. Um, so let me give you a few salient quotes here from this leading spokesman for the transhumanist movement. We are probably one of the last generations of Homo sapiens. In the coming generations, we will learn how to engineer bodies and brains 
and minds. He goes on to say, what the future masters of the planet will look like will be decided by the people who control the data. Those who control the data control the future, not just of humanity, but of life itself. He said, quote, I think that that maybe the most important thing for people to realize about living in the 21st century is that we are now hackable animals. I talked about that yesterday. He said, this is very telling because they're they're putting it sort of right in, in your face, no bones about it. He says, there is somebody out there who is right now trying to hack you, and not just one. Amazon's trying to hack you. Google's trying to hack you. Coca-Cola's trying to hack you. And the Russians and the American government and the Chinese, they are all trying to hack you right now. So uh, here's a, about a two, two and a half minute uh, video summarizing Harari's view on the future of humanity. And this should make your skin crawl as he talks about how organisms are really nothing more than algorithms, and uh, Philip talked about that yesterday. Listen to this. You can really summarize 150 years of biological research since Charles Darwin in three words. Organisms are algorithms. This is the big insight of the modern life sciences, that organisms, whether viruses or bananas or humans, they are really just biochemical algorithms, and we are learning how to decipher these algorithms. Now, when the two revolutions merge, when the infotech revolution merges with the biotech revolution, what you get is the ability to hack human beings. And maybe the most important invention for the merger of infotech and biotech is the biometric sensor that translates biochemical processes in the body and the brain into electronic signals that a computer can store and analyze. And once you have enough such biometric information and enough computing power, you can create algorithms that know me better than I know myself. And humans really don't know themselves very well. This is why algorithms have a real chance of getting to know ourselves better. We don't really know ourselves. The algorithm tracks your eye movements, your blood pressure, your brain activity, and tells you who you are. Once we have algorithms that can understand me better than I understand myself, they could predict my desires, manipulate my emotions, and even take decisions on my behalf. By hacking organisms, elites may gain the power to re-engineer the future of life itself. Because once you can hack something, you can usually also engineer it. In the coming decades, AI and biotechnology will give us godlike abilities to re-engineer life and even to create completely new life forms. After four billion years of organic life shaped by natural selection, we are about to enter a new era of inorganic life shaped by intelligent design. Our intelligent design is going to be the new driving force of the evolution of life. 
Yeah, notice that phrase, intelligent design. That's why years ago when I was in full-time academics, I was very outspoken and resistant against the intelligent design movement and that technology because I could tell it was just going to be a setting of the stage for them to basically usher in this transhumanist uh, mindset. Uh, so this has been going on for a long time. Um, you know, here's a, 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 just a 30-second quote where Harari admits that science is about power and that dictators love to hack humanity so that they can be involved in total uh, surveillance. They dream about eliminating privacy. Science is not really about truth, it's about power. For the first time in history, it's possible to completely eliminate privacy. It was just never possible before, and it is possible now. Something fundamental has changed. When dictators always dreamt about completely eliminating privacy, monitoring everybody all the time and knowing everything you do and not just everything you do but even everything you you think and everything you feel they could never do it because it was technically impossible now it's possible so you know remember the premise here of my spirit of the antichrist series it's that we're seeing an upsurge in in these types of things that are setting the stage for the tyrannical satanic rule of the antichrist the antichrist uh, is not going to be omniscient. Satan is not omniscient. And no matter, even though according to 2 Thessalonians 2, he's going to be working according to the power of Satan, Satan's not omniscient. So if he's going to be able to do the kinds of things that the book of Revelation tells us he's going to be doing in, in, in you know, clamping down on an entire full-spectrum global control, then he's going to need technology. And so we're there. We're knocking on the door. They're talking about it. That ought to both simultaneously... Uh, terrify us, although we know God's not given us a spirit of fear, we know who wins in the end, but at the same time it ought to excite us because it knows that we're getting that much closer uh, to uh, the return of the Lord. Um, this is from an article that he just wrote uh, in The Economist, uh, and I actually subscribed to that just to get this article. Uh, I wanted to see what he had to say. Uh, let me read this to you. I know it's fairly small print, but I wanted to capture the context. We're going to talk about ChatGPT in just a moment. But he says, when people think about ChatGPT and other new AI tools, they often are, are drawn to examples like school children using AI to write their essays. Forget about school essays. Think of the next American presidential race in 2024 and try to imagine the impact of AI tools that can be made to mass-produce political content, fake news stories, and scriptures for new cults. This is from April 28th. So we're talking here about redefining what it means to be human. Like everything else in the Luciferian agenda, the transhumanist ideology turns truth on its head. Nothing is accepted as fact except fiction, as Gary Barnett put it. God is the creator, not man. Satan will not stop until he has conquered every boundary in God's created realm. Pure evil never waves the white flag of surrender. It must be defeated. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did at the cross. And that's exactly what he will do when he returns one day to take his rightful throne. So as we go back to Genesis chapter 1, we see what mankind is. Mankind is the highest pinnacle of creation, the crown jewel. God said, let us make man in our image. Uh, let him have dominion 
over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. That's why what I call the gender surrender movement, that's the title of chapter 13 in my book, is uh, I think one of the most demonic attacks you know, in history since mankind was created. It cuts right to the core of the image of God and man. Notice the number of times they talk about redefining what it means to be human. Let's go back to our good friend Klaus Schwab. He said, the mind-boggling innovations triggered by the fourth industrial revolution from biotechnology to AI are redefining what it means to be human. See, they've got to redefine it because they know they can never create humanity like God did. The future will challenge our understanding of what it means to be human from both a biological and social standpoint. He said, already advances in neurotechnologies and biotechnologies are forcing us to question what it means to be human. Here is Harari talking about upgrading homo sapiens into gods. I might have played this one yesterday. Big products of the coming century will not be shoes or clothes or cars or weapons. The big product of the 21st century are going to be bodies and minds. So I think we are heading to, towards the upgrading of homo sapiens into gods. Now, Elon Musk... Uh, who's a Satan worshiper and a leading transhumanist, don't fall for the recasting of him and think that he's a good guy. He is not. Uh, He admits that technology is going to be used by a group of elites uh, to take over the world. Uh, He also is the one who says, quote, soon we will be able to turn you into an expletive butterfly if we want to. Uh, Here he is. Uh, it, talking about it, and it's a, it's a fairly grainy clip. I could not find a clean clip to, to cut, but I, let me tell you what he's going to say, and then I'll play it. It's only seven seconds. He says, quote, If one company or small group of people manages to develop godlike digital superintelligence, they could take over the world. Hmm. Where have we heard that before? How about God's Word? Because if one company or small group of people manages to develop godlike digital superintelligence, they could take over the world. Back to Harari, he says, we don't have to wait until Christ's second coming in order to overcome death. A couple of geeks in a laboratory can do it if you give them enough time and money. He also has said, God is dead. It's just taking a while to bury the body. In other words, we Christian evangelicals who believe the Bible is the only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices... It's just, it's just going to take us a while to let go of this idea. You know. uh, here's Ray Kurzweil, another uh, transhumanist. Uh, they talk about how their desire is to create a post-human species. People will no longer be human. And this group includes people like Bill Gates, as I mentioned, Elon Musk, Ray Kurzweil, who you see on the screen there, and other leading politicians and co-conspirators. Kurzweil was asked by a reporter one time, does God exist? And he said, does God exist? Well, I would say not yet, but we're working on it. You know, we'll get there in the laboratory, right? And that brings us to artificial intelligence. AI is basically, to use the Latin, terra incognita, basically undiscovered territory. And even in the last week, we've seen 
unprecedented advancements in AI, especially since two months ago they, they kind of opened up the, the, the large language model types of AI to the general public, so now you can have personal uh, AI, and so millions of people across the globe are now experimenting and working with this stuff. I mean, it, I, I've been interviewing, and I encourage you to check these out on my uh, website, uh, Top Technologist. Uh, I've done three or four podcasts on this very subject, and they, you know, they're stunned how quickly things are changing. I mean, it really is upon us. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just saying this is not kind of what's coming. It's here. Uh, they're working hard to create an intelligence that can pass the, the so-called Turing test, named after Alan Turing in 1950, which is when artificial intelligence will exhibit intelligent behavior either equivalent to or indistinguishable from that of a human. So if you think the COVID pandemic changed the world, you ain't seen nothing yet. AI is changing the world day by day, hour by hour, and minute by minute. The Brookings Institution that I referenced yesterday is a leading Luciferian think tank, and they see AI as a savior. They are you know, high-fiving and fist-bumping with each new AI advancement. I've done, uh, as I mentioned, several podcasts. This is one of them, ChatGPT and the Luciferian Agenda. Um, you know, GPT stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformers. And it, create th it creates things. It's a form of AI that uses a large language model, that's the pre-trained aspect, to draw uh, textual data that is then given to the AI and used to create things. Uh, so ChatGPT is just one of them by the company OpenAI. You've got Bard by Google. You've got Meta by Facebook. There are others out there. Uh, but they've already exceeded the ability of the human mind to solve problems. And some of this is good. For example, uh, Parkinson's, just in the last two weeks, maybe you saw this in the news, uh, you know, they've been able to, to figure out how to diagnose Parkinson's before there are you know, even any symptoms. Amazing. Um, because th this technology can do um, you know, millions of man hours of work in seconds, right? Uh, or a paralyzed man uh, was able to walk again. This was just in the news, uh, becoming the first test pilot of an AI system that reads your thoughts and wirelessly connects the brain and the legs. So the implant goes in the skull, detects brain activity that they've figured out is linked to walking. The AI then processes and decodes the brain activity. Signals are beamed down to a second implant in the legs that say start moving and now all of a sudden this guy who's been paralyzed can walk. So we're seeing things mimicked and, and uh, you know repeated that were done uh, supernaturally and miraculously by God in uh, Scripture. Uh, you know, large language models are, are being created. Uh, this, I just read this last week, actually this week, uh, are, are ta they've taken the entire corpus of U.S. patents. That's every patent ever submitted, even if it wasn't granted, even if it was rejected. Every patent in the history of the United States that has been submitted and turning it into this large language model and then writing prompts, and it's still early, but they think that they're going to be able to now invent things that the human mind hasn't even conceived of by leveraging all of this data in the U.S. patents and having AI come up with something that you know, we wouldn't be able to do. We cannot, it's not humanly possible to connect all of the dots from all of these uh, things, but with AI, you can do that. So the bottom line is AI has very interesting applications, but extremely dangerous implications. 
As I said, it can do in minutes what would take one million man hours uh, to do. But for AI to work, and here's the key, there has to be data somewhere. Unlike God, AI cannot create something out of nothing. So some of the things that people are doing with these uh, um, you know, types of technologies in the artistic world, in the music world, in the video world, in the photography world, is creative, it's fun, it's just funny. For example, you could take, using AI, you can have Bing Crosby, based on all of the data that we have about him, and you can have him write an original song in quintessential Bing Crosby style. And then you can have another AI of Buddy Holly do a duet with Bob Marley. I mean, talk about a strange collaboration of styles. Uh, I mean, all these guys are dead, but not anymore with AI. It's like this reality chimera. You remember what a chimera is? You know, in Greek mythology, it's this fire-breathing she-monster with a lion's head, a goat's body, and a serpent's tail. Well, that's what we're doing with reality. If you can conceive it, or an AI can conceive it for you, let's try it. Why not, right? Let's mix everything. This technology is the reason the Luciferians have been data mining for decades. Everything you say, write, watch, hear, text, tweet, everything on the internet is tracked. In other, and think about it this way. For those who are, let's just roughly say, age 20 or, or younger, it's basically like since the moment you were born, you were born with a camera and a microphone attached to your shoulder. And now everything in your entire life, every second, has been recorded. I mean, a key question that technologists are wrestling with right now, and you see governments having you know, committee meetings about this and trying to decide about regulation, but the key question is, do you own your thoughts and your creative mental output? Or if your thoughts can be harvested by AI, the way transhumanists are trying to do, does the harvester, in this case the Luciferian elite, own those thoughts? AI is basically the new, and I would suggest final, arms race of our day. The Luciferian elite are weaponizing AI. It's it's being marketed as an intelligence amplifier, and, and to some extent it is. Again, technology is neutral. It's who uses the technology and to what end that is really the problem. And when the nefarious Satan-worshipping Luciferian elite use it, it's a real problem. Uh, you know, TikTok, it's been in the news a lot the last few weeks, uh, it uses AI to track your eye movements and learn which dopamine hits are working so they can send more your way. It's watching you while you're watching it. And by the way, it's not just TikTok. They're all doing that. Twitter, they're all doing that. AI uh, reflects, think about this, uh, AI reflects the entire corpus of fallen humanity. It's like the blind leading the blind. <laughs> I mean, already AI experts are bragging about how AI exhibits characteristics of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And how it exhibits you know, Carl Jung's cognitive functions. Well, Jung and Maslow are two of the most influential, secular, humanistic, atheistic psychologists of the 20th century. And they're trying to tell us, hey, look, 
you know, we've got AI now that basically is, is, is human. You know, it's, it's doing these things. But the way I like to say it is, in other words, transhumanists are creating fallen fake man in the image of fallen real man. That's what we're doing. It's the blind leading the blind. And that's why it's so important for us to remember the, the words of 1 John 4, which are written, by the way, in the context of the future Antichrist coming and the spirit of the Antichrist that is already at work in the world today and the reminder that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. But this chapter starts with, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Is this human being that you're looking at a creation of God or is it a creation of man? Test the spirits. Is it of God? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. My next book that will be out in October is The Spirit of the False Prophet. Spirit of the False Prophet. Dealing with the ways in which the stage is being set for the false prophet's role uh, in the end times. So everywhere you look, you're seeing these references. Here's an article from uh, 2020 in the Wall Street Journal entitled, Looking Forward, Looking Forward to the End of Humanity. The author, and I'm just going to paraphrase a few points here from the article, says, Eternal life through advanced technology is no longer a pipe dream. Many people will be ready to embrace the message of the Transhumanist Declaration, an eight-point program first issued in 1998. Quote, We envision the possibility of broadening human potential by overcoming aging, cognitive shortcomings, involuntary suffering, and our confinement to planet Earth. People have always feared death and dreamed of escaping it, but until now that hope has been formulated in religious terms. In other words, naive, you know, dumb, ignorant terms. Transhumanism promises that death can be conquered physically, not just spiritually, and the movement has the support of people with the financial resources to make it happen. Jeff Bezos, Peter Thiel. I wish I had the time to tell you a little bit more about Peter Thiel. Uh, read, read, read the book uh, in volume two where I explain Peter Thiel and his connection to Donald Trump. But anyway, Elon Musk. These are some Silicon Valley moguls who have invested in life extension research. In 2013, Google entered the field by launching the biotech firm Calico, which is short for California Life Company, in which they're trying to create life. Transhumanists envision several possible avenues to immortality. Nanorobots could be inside our cells and constantly repair damage, halting aging in its tracks. Genetic engineering could eliminate the mechanisms that cause us to age in the first place. Transhumanists believe we will be able to accomplish this sooner than most people think with the help of super-powered artificial intelligence. Ultimately, the hope is that we won't just use computers, we will become them. Uh, many of you saw this in the news, May 2nd, 2023, the so-called godfather of AI, Jeffrey Hinton, warns of the dangers of AI and quits Google uh, on May 23rd. So what's that, three, four days ago, the Washington Post uh, ran an article in which the White House uh, you know, unveiled new efforts to guide federal research of AI. Whew, boy, I'm glad to hear that. I, I was worried that AI was going to get out of control, but the White House is on the job. We'll be okay. Um, 
course, I talk about this in the book. This goes back to 2022, but Blake Lemoyne, who was an engineer with Google, was fired after he became convinced that the AI he was working with had become sentient. I give you almost the full transcript of that. It's several pages, two or three pages in my book. It's worth reading because it will chill you to the bone. By the time you get to the end of the transcript, you know, you'll think, you'll forget that you're talking to a computer or that he was talking to a computer. Uh, here's a, a brain implant startup that was backed by Jeff Bezos and Gates testing mind-controlled computing on humans. You know, you sit down at your computer with a brain implant and you start thinking and words appear on the screen. You don't even have to type the keyboard. Uh, this is from May 1st, 2023. I'm just trying to give you an idea of how rapidly things are progressing where a BlackRock manufactured brain chip is being implanted into the brains of 50 people in Utah. Uh, this is a, a, a really a, a nice little gem that I came upon. You can find the PDF of it. It's, I think, 200 and some odd pages, but written by Maureen Heaton. Uh, she's passed away, but fascinating look at some of the Luciferian conspiracy, but she, she writes, one of the least understood strategies of the world revolution now moving rapidly towards its goal is the use of mind control as a major means of obtaining the consent of the people who will be subjects of the new world order. I encourage you to look that up. It's called the impossible dream. Going back to 2021, you've got a competitor that beat Elon Musk's Neuralink to FDA approval. Uh, Neuralink, of course, is Musk's brain-computer uh, interface, BCI. Here's another example from 2019, how a man was able to play uh, video games with a BCI. Uh, from this year, May 11th, 2023, a couple of weeks ago, Walden University is deploying a new AI digital human that analyzes students' gestures and talks and emotes. Microsoft says new AI shows signs of human reasoning, May 16th, this year. Uh, we've seen in recent weeks uh, different countries using AI newscasters. Here's one from Kuwait, as reported in The Guardian on April 10th, 2023. These are not real people. So we already know from Operation Mockingbird, as I exposed in Volume 1, how the news is controlled, it's fake, it's, it's, it's agenda-driven, uh, right and left, it's the Hegelian dialectic. But now, not only is the content uh, AI-driven, but the actual you know, humanoids, we'll call them that, are AI-driven as well. Uh, here's from one from uh, New Delhi in India. That's not a real person, that's an AI. China's been doing it for quite a long time. Oh, here's a, a nice little gem that I just came across and, and threw in a couple days ago, May 18th. Now here's an AI company that will perform a seance for your dead loved ones. I mean, if they can create life in real time, why not bring people back from the dead? It's called Grief Tech. Grief Tech. And, and this company is called Seance AI. And you pay some money and you can sit down and you can talk with your... Uh, dead loved ones. And that's becoming easier and easier because so much data of people is now tracked. That's why I referenced 20 and, and, and younger. You know, they can literally take all that data from your bit bucket and they can recreate you after you die. And it will think like you, look like you, talk like you, act like you, walk like you, laugh like you, you name it. It's like we're developing Skynet from the uh, Terminator 
franchise with Arnold Schwarzenegger, this uh, control grid, and, and, and that's right out of Revelation 13. I want to take just a moment to talk about biodigital convergence. Uh, I have a whole section on this in Volume 2. But uh, uh, back to a couple quotes here. The fourth industrial revolution technologies will not stop at becoming part of the physical world around us. They will become part of us, Klaus Schwab says. Our newfound ability to manipulate life will impact our humanness. And I pointed out in Chapter 9 of Volume 1 uh, how Moderna... Uh, you know, who had never brought a single product to uh, market in their company's entire existence, was then given over $3 trillion, I think it was up to $4 trillion, by Moderna. And by the way, who did Trump tap to lead Operation Warp Speed, which was to get the vaccine out? A board member from Moderna, who left the board of Moderna, became put in charge of Operation Warp Speed. If that's not a conflict of interest, I don't know what is, but if you go back to their company tagline, uh, welcome to Moderna, we believe mRNA is the software of life. That's what they're trying to do, it's modify your DNA. Uh, this is uh, from Crystal Vander Elst, who is the director general, at least was at the time I wrote the book, of Policy Horizons Canada. And, and she talks about how we, we need to redefine what we consider to be human that we, have, we are using physical meshing, merging, and manipulating of the biological data and digital are creating new hybrid forms of life. And I have an extended quote of an article that she wrote. It's in Chapter 3 of Volume 2, uh, in which it's called Good Morning Biodigital. If we had more time, I'd read all of it, but it's basically giving you a glimpse of the future through the eyes of transhumanism. So it begins, I'll just read the first little few parts of it. I wake up to the sunlight and salty coastal air of the Adriatic Sea. I don't live anywhere near the Mediterranean, but my AI, which is also my health advisor, has prescribed a specific air quality, scent, and solar intensity to manage my energy levels in the morning. And it has programmed my bedroom to mimic this climate. The fresh bed sheets grown in my building from regenerated fungi are better than I imagined. I feel rested and ready for the day. I need to check a few things before I get up, so I send a brain message to open the app that controls my insulin levels and makes sure my pancreas is optimally supported. I can't imagine having to inject myself with needles like my mother did when she was a child. Now it's a microbe transplant that auto-adjusts and reports on my levels. Everything looks all right, so I check my brain's digital interface to read the dream data that was recorded and processed in real time. Last night while I slept, my therapy app analyzes the emotional responses I expressed while I slept, and it suggests I take time to be in nature this week to reflect on my recurring trapped in a box dream and enhance, my, and enhance helpful subconscious neural activity. My AI recommends a forest day. I think, okay, I think, okay, and my AI and neural implant do the rest. The summary of my bug bot surveillance footage shows that my apartment was safe from intruders last night. I mean, I mean, this just goes on and on. I, we, I wish we had more time, but you can, you can read the full dialogue. So vitalism is the notion that there's a fundamental difference between living and dead organisms, but what we're seeing is the death of vitalisms. It's, it's an ideology that is disappearing in the same way Satan's trying to, you know, overcome death and create life at the same time. They are, they are getting rid of vitalism. We're seeing this blurring of distinction between the organic natural and the digital 
synthetic. When I, I was a kid, I remember the, the old commercials, I, cannot, I can't believe it's not butter. You remember that? Well, now we've got, I can't believe it's not human. You know, that's what we're, that's what we're dealing with uh, today. Klaus Schwab says, today's external devices will almost certainly become implantable in our bodies and brains. Active implantable microchips will break the skin barrier of our bodies and smart tattoos, biological computing, and custom-designed organisms will be common. Smart dust, arrays of full computers with antennas, each smaller than a grain of sand, can now organize themselves inside the bodies. These technologies will operate within our own biology and change the way we interface with the world. The next time the government comes along and offers you free lottery tickets to inject an experimental substance into your body, Knowing what they're trying to do, I would suggest you resist it. They're capable of crossing the boundaries of body and mind, he goes on. These technologies can intrude into the hitherto private space of our minds, reading our thoughts and influencing our behavior. Implantable devices likely also help us to communicate thoughts normally expressed verbally through a built-in smartphone. Now, is this just Klaus Schwab randomly writing stuff, or is one of the most powerful men in the world actually, does he actually know something? Well, I don't know. Here's a guy from the World Economic Forum uh, who happens to be the CEO of Nokia cell phones who says the same thing. Listen to this quote. I think it will go, it, it will, first of all, it will definitely happen. I, I, I was talking about 6G earlier, which is around 20, 2030. I would say that by then, definitely the smartphone as we know it today will not anymore be, be the usual kind of the most common interface. Wow. It's, it, many of these things will be built directly into our, our, our bodies. I mean, they're just telling you what they're going to do. He's saying that by 2030, cell phones will be built directly into our bodies. He goes on, or this is Klaus Schwab goes on, the next trending business model might be trading access uh, to a person trading access to their thoughts. In other words, you know, you get a call, hey, JB, we'd like you to write an article uh, for Harbinger's Daily. I'm just making that up. Harbinger's hopefully would never do such a thing. They write, they post a lot of my stuff and a lot of other people's stuff too, but they wouldn't do this. Hey, this is Harbinger's Daily. We'd like you to, uh, we'd like you to, you know, write an article. Oh, great. Let me give it some thought and it'll be right over. And then I just sit back and think, and all of a sudden it shows up on their computer terminal. I don't have to even type it or email it. Um, you know, he says, as capabilities in this area improve, the temptation for law enforcement agencies and courts to use techniques to determine the likelihood of criminal activity. We're talking about pre-crime here. Remember, Hollywood, art always imitates life. You know, there's that debate. It's not much of a debate in my mind. Does art imitate life or life imitate art? Art always imitates life. Hollywood is a leading beachhead for the Luciferian agenda. That's why they named it Hollywood. Holly tree is the tree that they used, witches used to make sticks uh, to do their potions with. It's been a seat of Luciferian activity since the middle of the 19th century. And they're always out there telegraphing what they're doing, like this uh, pre-crime stuff. So I'm going to skip this next section on CRISPR technology. You can read about it in the book, but it's pretty amazing what they're doing, slicing and splicing genes and creating all kinds of, uh, of things here. Uh, I'm going to skip that for the sake of time because I want to get to a, my last section here, which is transhumanism and depopulation. A corollary to the transhumanist agenda is the depopulation movement, 
Once you've decided that humans are worthless and inferior to man-made algorithms, well, what do you do with them? Well, you kill them, of course. Satan has long had an obsession with death because he views mankind as God's pride and joy. And so he spent the last 6,000 years trying to prove that we are worthless and kill us. Jesus said, you're of your father, the devil, who was a murderer from the beginning. Remember, Satan said, you, God said, you will surely die. What did Satan say? You will not surely die. He was trying to convince mankind that you can sin and get away with it, that there are no consequences, that we're just biological algorithms. But Jesus said the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. He's a killer. And by the way, he's an equal opportunity killer. Satan doesn't care whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. Sin leads to death. That's what James tells us. Sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. If you're a believer and you fool around with sin, you're likely to die young and you'll go to heaven, sure. But there are serious consequences for sin. Sadly, if you're an unbeliever uh, you know, and you fool around with sin, you're going to die and go to hell. You know. Sin uh, kills. Uh, we see this agenda you know, many times throughout the biblical uh, account of history. Here's uh, Satan using Herod to try to kill the Christ child. Remember when he killed all the children, the babies, two years and younger? Peter says Satan is a, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. During the tribulation, he's referred to as Abaddon, which means destruction, or Apollyon, which means destroyer. So the eugenics movement goes way back. There was a time in our country in the early part of the 20th century when just about every major city of any size had a eugenics office. You can still see some of the uh, historical markers around uh, the country that talk about the eugenics boards and the eugenics offices. Um, this pamphlet states, eugenics is the self-direction of human evolution. Eugenics is basically social Darwinism. I mean, why do you think... The Rockefeller Foundation, the Carnegie Foundations, and the Ford Foundations, and others, as I talk about in my book at the beginning of the 20th century, were so dead set on taking over the education system in this country. You know, for 5,900 and some odd years of human history, we understood that it's perfectly normal to educate your children in the family. And all of a sudden, we subcontracted that out, and beginning in kindergarten for 13 years, for eight hours a day for five days a week, we handed our kids over to the state. And compulsory government schooling became mandatory in all 50 states or all the states at the time in 1918. And now here we are 120, 115 years later and wonder how well we're doing uh, with that. But why do you think they pushed that? Because they wanted to make sure that evolution was taught and our children were programmed with this Darwinian thought. Most people know about Darwin's book published in 1859, Origin of the Species, but I bet your seventh grade biology teacher didn't say much at all about the subtitle, which was the preservation of the favored races in the struggle for life. See, Darwin wasn't a scientist, he was a eugenicist. In fact, in his later book, The Descent of Man, published in 1871, he said, most people are evolutionary dead ends. Only a small elite is actually evolving and everyone else just gets in the way. That's what Yuval Noah Harari said. Most people are redundant. We just don't need people anymore. And then he kind of parenthetically added, well, except we need some for data collection. You know, we need a few rats in the laboratory, but the rest of them, we're, we don't really need them, right? 
Um, Operation Paperclip, a very interesting study. I talk about this in the book. Uh, when all of those Nazi eugenicists uh, who adopted Hitler's Darwinian ethic and his Darwinian worldview came over to the U.S. in Operation Paperclip, do you think they changed their worldview? There were over 1,600 of them that we brought over. I mean, why do you think we brought them over here in the first place? The Luciferian elite wanted them over here uh, to infiltrate. Um, you know, uh, by the way, we did the same thing with Japanese scientists. It was called Operation 77, but because America was predisposed against Japanese people, it wasn't as common. You know, German scientists can blend in a little better in, in the West over here. Uh, but many of these went to work for the U.S. Army or for NASA. Many got extremely high-paying jobs with commercial companies like GE and Bell Laboratories. Many Nazis were so well-known that Alan Dulles at the time flew them to Argentina instead of the U.S. because it would have caused an even greater outcry. So we got people like you know, Nazi Major General Walter Dornberger, who was taken captive in April of 1945. He's the one that oversaw the creation and manufacturing of the V-2 guided missile, which killed over 5,000 British civilians during World War II. So what did we do with him? Oh, we just made him the CEO of Bell Laboratories and a multimillionaire. Uh, Hitler once said to Dornberger, and he said this on July 8, 1944, quote, this is Hitler speaking to Dornberger, quote, I have had to apologize only to two men in my whole life. The first was Field Marshal von Brauschwitz. I did not listen to him when he told me again and again how important your research was, speaking to Dornberger. And the second man is yourself. I never believed that your work would be successful. <laughs> and what do we do with Dornberger? We put him in charge of Bell Laboratories. Uh, here's uh, you know, Werner von Braun. Uh, what do you do with Nazis? Well, you celebrate them, of course, and put them on the cover of Time magazine. So the Nazis didn't lose the war. They just moved uh, to America. But people are the problem, according to uh, the Luciferians. You know, they, they see us as a problem. Here's some, uh, an ad campaign. Uh, from the UN as part of their propaganda piece. It's got, you know, the, the, this doctor diagnosing the earth. Well, what's your problem? Oh, you have humans. That's the problem. You're going to have to take a daily capsule of tsunami and two tablets of eight degrees earthquake, all under a strict regimen of drought, right? Kids are picking up on this and mimicking it. Oh, I'm sure you have humans. That's your problem. Too many humans. Now, here's the quote I mentioned earlier. The future is about developing more and more sophisticated technology like artificial intelligence and bioengineering. Most people don't contribute anything to that, except, of course, perhaps for their data. And whatever people are still doing, which is useful, these technologies increasingly will make redundant and make it possible uh, to replace people. 99% of human qualities and abilities are simply redundant. So, you know... Bill Gates famously said in a TED Talk, it's still available, they have not recanted it, if we do a really good job with vaccines, we could lower the population growth by as much as 10 to 15%. Just let that sink in for a moment. Or as a big new Brzezinski, not long before he died, said on national television, today it's infinitely easier to kill one million people than to control one million people. Or Bill Maher, you know, another people they're recasting as a conservative. He said, I'm pro-choice. I'm, I'm, I'm for assisted suicide. I'm for regular suicide. I'm for whatever gets the freeway moving. That's what I'm for. It's too crowded. The planet is too crowded, and we need to promote death. 
So I want to save time for questions, but in the book I've got several pages of very relevant quotes by key public personalities that are in your face talking about the importance of death. But how should we respond? Well, as I said yesterday, the number one step is to make sure you're on the right side of this thing. Uh, John the Baptist said, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation, only He has the power to forgive sin and give life. You know, you may put all the brain implants in your body that you want, and they'll just, you know, corrode and rust when your body goes to the grave and your soul goes to a place of eternal torment called hell. But God's provided a way out of that. When He sent His Son and our Savior to the earth to die in your place and my place on the cross to pay our penalty for sin, He rose again the third day, defeating death, hell, and the grave, and He offers freely to all the gift of eternal life if you'll simply trust Him for it. And if you've not trusted Him, let me employ you to do that today. For the rest of us, we want to make sure we heed the warning of Scripture that says we should see the troubles ahead and prepare for them. The horse is prepared for battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. Be serious and watchful in our prayers. Paul said, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. He said, do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Jesus, knowing where this was heading, just hours before he was betrayed and arrested, told his disciples, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Amen? So, again, these are, uh, I talk about all this and flesh this out in the two-volume series, Spirit of the Antichrist. We talk about a number of these as well in the two DVD uh, sets. But uh, with that, we'll open it up for, for questions. Thank you very much, and, uh, you know, come Lord Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, and let me add, we've bought 
uh, or, or Phillips graciously given us cases of these books at Plum Creek Chapel, our church, home church there in the Denver metro area. And we've had two guys recently that lost their wives. And both of them have just been incredibly blessed and touched by that book. They've both told me, I think I've passed those messages on to you. Uh, and, and it is a powerful book. So I would encourage you to get with Philip. If you're a pastor or you go to a church, have some of these on hand. And when someone loses a loved one who knows the Lord, it's a great resource. Thank you very much. Uh, if we can get two microphones going, uh, Alan, can you help us? Have you got them? Okay, we're ready for questions. Anybody? Somebody over here? One right up here. I was wondering if you could just comment on this observation. God is the most consistent being ever, the absolute 100%. And he has demonstrated certain patterns of when he intervenes with humanity. I'll just share two out of the Bible and then ask you, because this is my assurance that he's going to intervene very, very shortly now. Uh, prior to the flood, now I believe sons of God, daughters of men was not the sons of Cain, but daughters of Cain and sons of Seth. I believe it was angelic and that it was out to change the genome or transhumanize and that God intervened with the flood well in advance of, of that going too far. The other one is Tower of Babel. God said, be fruitful, multiply, go fill the earth. Man said, no, we're all going to stick together, build this tower to reach up to heaven. And they didn't get too far before God said, if we allow them to do this, nothing will get in their way. So therefore, I'm going to intervene again, and I'm going to change their languages and spread them throughout the world. I believe those are arguments for the soon intervention of God because this is going too far. God sees it, and he's going to intervene with the tribulation and the second coming. Any comment? Would you comment? Yeah, I've said many times that uh, there are very few frontiers left for Satan to conquer. You know, if you go back to Genesis 1 through 11, that's the key. You know, you, he's conquered language with deconstructionism. He's conquered marriage, conquered uh, gender. <laughs> Uh, he, he's conquered, you know, life in terms of, you know, eugenics and abortion and the sanctity of life. So, yeah, I, I believe uh, th these are all signs. That's the whole premise of the two books is that we're seeing an upsurge in this activity and it can't be much longer. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the Tower of Babel and, and you know, Genesis 6. By the way, I'm glad to hear you say uh, that you do believe what the Bible says, <laughs> that, you know, that fallen angels cohabited with women and created the Nephilim. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, I do believe that those were both uh, key moments when Satan was doing, you know, his best to, to transcend humanity and, and, mar and marginalize humanity, too. That's the, same, that's the same idea. But yeah, thank you for that. Somebody else? Could you uh, describe uh, the, the uh, digital ID and how that might be marketed uh, based on your understanding of what we might be looking for? Yeah, thank Thank you for that. You know, I, I ran out of time yesterday, but I had several things that I wanted to say about the, the digital ID. Um, but it's absolutely much bigger than just the, the, the digital currency. Uh, it's going to, I did talk about this yesterday, but I wanted to go into more detail. By the way, I have two or three 
presentations I've done at other conferences. I, was, I spoke at a regional TPUSA event where I talked all about CBDCs and the coming uh, planetary control grid. But they're going to market it first with a carrot. They're going to make it so that if you sign up early, if you're an early adopter, you're going to get extra tokens, just like they gave away stuff to get people to take the gene-altering bioinjection. Uh, they're going to really try to entice you with that. And then they're going to pull out the sticks, and they're going to say, well, you don't get your federal subsidies if you don't get it through this digital conduit. You can't get your Social Security. You can't get your Medicare, Medicaid, those types of things. Uh, or you can't pay your taxes. Only That's what they did in India with ADHAR. You know, the ADHAR system in India was not, technically speaking, mandatory. They just said the only way you can pay your property taxes is through ADHAR, and if you don't pay your property taxes, we're going to throw you in jail. But it's not mandatory. <laughs> you know, that's kind of what they're going to do. So I think it's coming, but yet what I've said is don't do it. Decide now to steal yourself and say we're not going to do it. Because it, once you've crossed that threshold and you've signed on to the digital ID, it, it, there's no going back. At least now, even though we're tracked, everything we're doing is tracked, they're tracking everything I'm saying, we talked about that a little bit today. At least now, if you had to, you could go off the grid. And if things go south and some type of unfreezing event happens that we have to do that, you could do it. It'll be hard, but Jesus didn't say it'll be easy. <laughs> you know, tribulation's going to come. But once you've signed on to the digital ID, everything becomes interconnected, not just your transactional financial information. So. Somebody else, yeah. So you mentioned TikTok. Mm -hmm. And everyone in this room, I believe, knows somebody that loves watching TikTok. And I have believing friends that, that have started recording themselves doing TikTok. And I'm just wondering, since the, it appears that the origin of TikTok comes from China, which is why our government is saying no to allowing TikTok in government offices, that, that if they're monitoring the algorithms or the dopamine of people's responses to videos, does, doesn't that trickle down to the people that watch their friends' TikToks? Oh, anybody that watches it. But, but here's the thing. Uh, it's not just TikTok. So, and it's not Chinese-owned, by the way. It's Luciferian-owned. So it's, you know, they, they, they try to create this us versus them, this controlled opposition mentality, but it's ultimately the Luciferians, uh, and, and they're all doing it. But absolutely, anybody who's watching TikTok, or as I said, Twitter or anything else, they're watching you. You know, that's why, you know, on my phone, I'm not, I'm a terrible example, just ask my wife, I, I rely on technology. We use technology to get the gospel out. That's our passion. The urgency of the hour, we want to get out the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message. But I invested in, an, and it was not cheap, a special uh, case for my phone that's got on the front a cover for the camera and on the back a cover for the camera. So at least routinely they're not watching me, uh, at least through this camera. They're watching me through all the other cameras, but I've got one on my computer. You know, it's my computer has a camera cover. Uh, so there are little things you can do, but you know, at some point, and I believe it's gonna happen very soon, we're gonna have to make the hard decision to say enough's enough, and we're gonna have to shut her down. But right now, again, technology is amoral, right? Technology, as I've talked about, is, can be used for good, and it can be used for evil. Um, you know, there's nothing about a chip that 
in and of itself is inherently evil. So right now we're trying to use technology for good, but no, I, you're exactly right. Anybody, whether you're on it or not, if you're watching it, it's, it's watching you. Yeah. yeah, it's like the, uh, the, the, the meme that you've seen where the husband and wife are in their living room and you know, uh, the, the wife says to the husband, I wonder if Siri is listening to us, or Alexa, I wonder if Alexa is listening to us, and kind of chuckled, and the husband chuckled, and Alexa chuckled, but anyway. <laughs> okay, so you're saying, so in these stories that um, they've used this, in a, um, these chips to you know, heal MS and, and things like that, where do you, as a believer, do you use that? to benefit some health issues, or do you have, since it could be used for evil, just resist that kind of uh, technology for benefit? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think, and I talked about this with my technologist uh, guest that I have on my show, I think, you know, these are great advancements. This is, you know, mankind using, you know, technological advancements for, for good. And if it can heal a disease, or we've got lots of other examples that I didn't get into where using AI, you're able to diagnose things that we literally could not do before. You know, it's kind of like other technologies. I worked for nine and a half years as a consultant for Logos Bible Software, and you know, people were traditionalists, and they would say, oh, I like my printed Bible. Well, that's fine, but there are things you can do with digital technology and studying God's Word that you've actually physically can never ever possibly do with a, a print Bible. And I can do it with a few keystrokes and save you know, hours and hours of time. So I mean, we've got to keep that healthy balance, but absolutely, if there's some technology that will cure a disease or you know, without violating any moral principles, like I talk in the book about you know, uh, using uh, fetal tissue and you know, that kind of thing, and that's morally reprehensible, um, but as long as it doesn't violate any moral principles, I think that's a good thing. I wouldn't resist technology just because of how it's being used by the enemy. Yeah, I mean, we, how's that different? Uh, the, co the comment was even if it's implanted within you. Uh, the, you know, how's that different than a prosthetic leg or a screw that holds your bones together after a skiing accident? I mean, we're putting things inside our body for good. so. Uh, yes, okay. I know I'm covered by the blood of Christ, and uh, that's how uh, God sees me, but I still would, would like him to find me as uncorrupted as possible. So we try and eat as healthy as possible. When you're talking about this mRNA technology now being finding its way into our food system, mm -hmm. do you know anything about that is organic? Boy, that's a tough question because it's lies upon lies and lies about lies, and you just you can't separate truth from reality, you know, from virtual reality. Sometimes um, I think you have to be very, very careful. We've, you know, you can't trust the FDA. You know, you can't trust any of these government-run organizations. That's been demonstrated again and again that they'll lie to you. So I, I think you just have to be very careful, be discerning. That's what you know, John tells us is to, to really you know, test the spirits. I wish I had an easy answer, um, but I, I think you know, there are a lot of bad substances out there that they're, you know, that they're throwing our way. JV, thank you so much. You bet.
Thank you. Thank you.